This episode is brought to you by Typekit, the easiest way to use web fonts. Typekit pioneered the usage of CSS web fonts nearly two years ago and continues to be the leading source for designers and developers today. Sign up at typekit.com for as little as $4 a month and get thousands of high-quality fonts from the likes of Adobe, FontFont, Mark Simonson, and more. The hardest part is deciding which font to use. Try Typekit risk-free for 30 days at typekit.com. And by Tasks from Idea Division. Tasks for iPhone and iPod Touch is a simple yet sophisticated application to keep track of your to-dos, notes, due dates, and priorities. With Cloud Sync out of the box and coming soon to the web too, it's their take on connected task management. Learn more at taskapp.com. the changelog episode 0.6.2. I'm Adam Stachowiak. And I'm Wynn Netherland. This is the changelog. We cover what's fresh and new and open source. If you found us on iTunes, we're also on the web at thechangelog.com. We're also up on GitHub. Head to github.com slash explore. You'll find some trending reposts, some feature reposts from our blog, as well as the audio podcast. If you're on the Twitter, follow changelog show and me, Adam Stack. And I'm Penguin, P-E-N-G-W-Y-N-N. Fun episode this week. Talked IronJS with Frederick Holmstrom way over in Sweden, about IronJS that sits atop F-sharp, which sits atop .NET. Some really cool low-level stuff this week. Nice to see some .NET coming into the stream here. Yeah, hopefully we'll get some more of that. Speaking of JavaScript, we'll be at Texas JavaScript. Uh, at least I will. Are you going? I'm thinking about it. <laughs> thinking about it. On uh, June 11th in sunny Austin, Texas, Doug Crockford and others will be there at the premier regional JavaScript event. It was fun last year. Wouldn't miss it again this year. Speaking of regional conferences, we'll be at Lone Star RubyConf in August. Calls for uh, proposals are now open. So if you haven't submitted to speak at Lone Star and you're a Rubyist, then what are you waiting on? That's right. And we'll also be at RubyConf in Argentina, Buenos Aires at uh, November. Well, we won't be there, actually. We but... won't be there. Actually, <laughs> we're trying to get a special correspondent, uh, Ernesto Tagworker, down in uh, Buenos Aires is hoping to cover that for us. There you go. Way down there. November 8th and 9th. Check out rubyconf.com slash, uh, that's not a slash, it's a dot, <laughs> dot com dot AR. It's kind of odd. You know, we love regional conferences. I think that's where the conversation happens in a lot of uh, these communities. So if you're organizing a regional conference and uh, want to promote it on this here podcast, let us know how we can work with you to get the word out about those. Absolutely. Submit at thechangelog.com. What episode this week? Should we get to it? Let's do it. We're chatting today with Frederick Holmstrom from IronJS. So, Frederick, why don't you introduce yourself and a little bit about what you do? Yeah, okay. I'm a uh, software developer at Crispin Porter Bukowski uh, at my day job. Uh, just quit today, actually, but that's uh, irrelevant. <laughs> uh, I work on uh, IronJS uh, in my spare time, uh, which is really in, uh, I do pretty much only .NET programming nowadays. I've done PHP, Ruby, JavaScript, you know, the whole shebang, but I got stuck in .NET a couple of years back, and, well, I like it here. So so IronJS is a JavaScript runtime for .NET written in F-sharp, so... For our listeners, there's a lot to unpack there. So let's start with uh, F-sharp. 
What exactly yep. is F Sharp? Well, F Sharp is a functional programming language, ported language from Microsoft from uh, Visual Studio 2010, which is like last April, I think. Yeah. Uh, I mean, it's based on the ML style, like ML OCaml style languages. I would almost call it like an OCaml dialect, but not quite. It runs on .NET, uh, interrupts with like C Sharp, uh, VB, whatever you can run on .NET, basically. But it's functional, so you have the whole like static assignment, uh, like immutability, stuff like that built in. So IronJS is a JavaScript runtime built on top of that. What's the use case for having a, a different JavaScript runtime on top of .NET? Uh, I mean, on top of that, like when I started, uh, there wasn't really any uh, JavaScript runtimes available. If you wanted to use JavaScript as a scripting language for your application or a game or whatever, it was like there's this JScript thing that Microsoft use in, uh, uses in IE, but it, it's I mean it's pretty bad, and the integration with uh, .NET is very flaky and weird. So, uh, so I started IronJS in December of 2010, no 2009, sorry. Uh, Mostly, I mean, the original thing was that I was going to use it for like a database, like a you know, like NoSQL database I was working on. Uh, but then I found the whole JavaScript runtime a lot more fun to work on, so I just like scrapped the other project, and I've been working on IronJS ever since. So you support yeah. the the regular .NET framework, but also Mono. What was involved in getting yeah. it to run on Mono? Uh, not a lot, actually. Like changing two references and compiling, basically. It was almost painless. I know you're on Windows as we're recording this podcast, but are you playing around with Mono on Linux at all? Yeah, I mean, I have a, uh, what do you call it, like a dual boot or whatever into Ubuntu, oh, Ubuntu? Mm-hmm. yeah, Ubuntu, whatever you call it, uh, that I run, uh, usually like just the latest version of, of everything, I think it's like 11.04 or something, and I run like Mono Develop and stuff like that, so I can uh, make sure RMD is constantly compiles on Mono. So I got to ask you the trend in naming ported languages to Microsoft's frameworks as Iron something. Where did that come from? I think it's uh, what do you say like a homage, yeah? Right? To the original developer who developed the original implementation of Iron Python uh like way back before the dynamic language runtime existed. Uh, I think that's the history of it. I'm not quite sure, but I mean uh, you had like Iron Ruby and Iron Python, so when I was going to name my old thing uh i was just like okay iron js like why not it's the obvious choice uh but i don't know exactly where the prefix iron comes from so what about javascript support is what version of javascript or i guess the ecma standard are you supporting uh currently just three which i'm very sad about but we're working on the ecmascript 5 compatibility yeah compat Mm -hmm. Uh, and uh it's i mean it's trucking. I mean, it will be in, it's going to be a couple of months before it's fully in place. Uh, we got, I mean, I have one guy helping me from the States, uh, John. Thanks, John, by the way, if you're listening to this. <laughs> uh, he has helped tremendously. Um, so we're working, but we sort of got sidetracked with performance because it's a lot more fun to work on. Sure. Uh, graphs going down and down and down. It sort of more gives you a better gratification than, uh, but um, we're getting back on the ECMAScript 5 course right now to uh, get that done. What's the practical impact of supporting through JavaScript 3? What sorts of applications can be ported? Can you run Node on this? Uh, yes, uh, in theory. I, there's one guy I talked to today, actually, uh, that's working on a Node.js, well, Node.js for .NET using IronJS 
One of the things that fascinates me about, um, I guess, the .NET framework is that it's it's kind of the inverse of a lot of uh, frameworks out there. The, the Unix community tends to find the best and breed tool for the job. And with the .NET framework, you've got multiple languages that compile down to, to one framework, right? Um, yeah. So in theory, you could do the same thing with, I guess, CoffeeScript that you're doing with JavaScript, correct? Yeah. Without having to go through the JavaScript layer at all. Yeah. Have you played around with CoffeeScript at all? Uh, so you mean basically like getting a native parser for CoffeeScript that would run on top of IronJS? Is that the... Or even uh, bypass IronJS and go directly down to the, you know, the fsharp.net. Oh, uh, you mean like just parsing CoffeeScript basically right. straight off right. and going straight down. Uh, oh, uh, I mean, I've been playing around with getting, like, getting a native parser for CoffeeScript because that speeds it up by a lot. Uh, but uh, I haven't touched uh, CoffeeScript uh, like in the regard of just compiling it straight to .NET because uh, I mean, that, that would be have to be a completely separate project from uh, IronJS. So in the previous episode, we, uh, we covered PyPy, and uh, it has some .NET extensions that uh, can be compiled uh, for, for Python. Is there any sort of ability to load .NET assemblies uh, using IronJS? Uh, yeah, I, I mean, since I'm using the dynamic language runtime, you have pretty much access to all of C-sharp inside of uh, the JavaScript if you choose to. Like if you're hosting it in an application or a game or something, I mean, you probably want to limit what the user can do because uh, I mean, otherwise you could, uh, could intrude. I mean, you have the security implications of letting the user do whatever they want. Uh, but yes, you can access pretty much any functionality from the net inside of IronJS. But this would be a, a great way to expose um, a scripting interface for your application to third-party developers. Yeah, exactly. Uh, and then you have sort of the, you want to limit what they can do. Uh, but uh, that's that's a different issue. But yes, you can access all of .NET inside IronJS. So back to Mono for a second. Have you built anything with Mono? Uh, yeah, small things. You know, like uh, I use the, uh, they have the, like the C-sharp scripting ability. Like you can use C-sharp as sort of like a shell script language or something like that. I played around with that a bit, uh, you know, but I, I mean, I haven't really built anything specifically for Mono. Uh, I build a lot of stuff that I've made sure that runs both on Mono and on Windows or the canonical.NET implementation, uh, but nothing Mono-specific, you know. We need to get Mono on the show. It's, it's a fascinating little application. Yeah. I mean, um, I've been speaking to Miguel, uh, you know, Miguel de Castro. Sure, or, sure. I probably butchered his name to no end there, <laughs> there but <laughs> uh, I mean, he's a really nice guy, and there's the Mono team also. There, uh, I mean, the Mono project itself is, I mean, it's insane how how well they're doing. I mean, yeah, they're backed by Novell, but still, it's I'm thoroughly impressed by the progress and how good it's coming along. You know, in your introduction email that uh, you tipped me off to this project, it sounded a lot like a lot of the uh, letters I get from folks in the .NET community. And usually it starts out, you guys don't cover .NET much on the podcast, but here's a, a great project I'd like you to, to take a look at. The reason we don't is because they're so hard to find. We're trying to make inroads into that community. Talk a minute about the difference in, I guess, open source philosophy between the .NET community and the rest of the web world. I mean, I think the .NET community, and I can see this even like when I'm working professionally, is basically based on closed source, on proprietary software. I mean, there are usually like you know you can find the occasional like open source plugin to like your the CMS you're using or whatever. But and I mean, there are a few 
open source CMSs like your Umbraco and a couple of others. But I mean, the community as a whole and like all the products that Microsoft sell that concern .NET, it's all closed source. Uh, there's very little open source. I mean, F-Sharp is, I would say, is mostly open source. I mean, even F-Sharp itself is open source, actually. Uh, so you can download the compiler and mess around and everything. But uh, looking at C-Sharp and VB, it's I mean, it's all closed source straight through, basically. And I mean, I, come, I, mean, I learned programming uh, through like C and PHP and Perl and Python and stuff. So, I mean, I, I miss the, uh, the open source perspective you get. Uh, in the like yeah, in those languages and the like Ruby JavaScript world and stuff, but uh, yeah, you know one of the things that um, I really enjoyed coming to the Ruby community from the .NET community was just Ruby gems and the package management. And I know Python has PyPy and um, or pip rather than an easy install. Um, is NuGet this answer for .NET? Yeah, yeah, I'd say it is. Uh, I use it for pretty much everything now. It's uh, I install it as soon as I install Visual Studio, I install NuGet, and use it for pretty much everything. It's it's been working flawlessly. I mean, and what I like about it is that it's not only for like you know like .NET assemblies. It's for like pretty much anything, like JavaScript files, templates, like whatever. It's it's not only for libraries. Do you know when you install packages via NuGet, does it also put things in the registry? Hmm. I'm not the foggiest, actually. That's just curiosity. I was, we should have those guys on the show, but it, I guess with Windows, even with the, the .NET applications, there's still that registry component still in Windows, correct? Yeah, yeah like the global assembly cache. Right. Or like re- registering it in the GAC. As the GAC. The people, yeah, the people in the know say the GAC. <laughs> That's a word I, I haven't know. heard in quite some time. Yeah. Um, I don't know. I, I'm ne- like I've never like gotten used to like how the how the whole assembly cache thing works. It's just awkward. I, th- I think the so the way they present it and the way it's used is really awkward. It's just like I, like I want my DLLs in a folder and like that's the version I use and I'd just be happy with them. But they insist on putting them freaking everywhere. So NuGet is the package management piece of that. But if you're looking for open source in .NET, where do you go? Uh, Codeplex. I said Codeplex.com or is it .org? Yeah, I think it's .com. And that has most of the open source .NET stuff. Uh, there's another place called, uh, oh, I don't remember the name. But, I mean, GitHub has a lot of C-sharp products also. I noticed just a couple of days ago. Uh, sadly, not so much F-sharp, but uh, it's supposed to be language. is sort of like a niche language. Uh, but, yeah, I'd say GitHub and the Codeplex, definitely. You know, one aspect of, I guess, .NET, probably the eco-center or the epicenter of that is is C sharp, you know, it's just the yeah. biggest footprint. Um, and it's just unfortunate that the is a special reserved character. So it's just not search engine friendly when you're finding a lot yeah. of C sharp stuff. Yeah. I've had problems, uh, cause I've been, I've been looking for jobs occasionally around Sweden mm-hmm. and you can't search for it. Like you can't search for C sharp because the search ship input boxes don't accept the pound sign. So it's like, What's well, the same with .NET? For... A lot of times you'll see C sharp spelled C S H A R P, right, and .NET spelled D O T N E T. Yeah, because and uh, yeah, you can't search for .NET either because like invalid characters, only alphanumeric plus the Swedish extension characters. So it's like okay, well, but Java of course works. So you mentioned a number of languages that you, I guess, it learned on prior to, to .NET. What sort of perspective has that given you in writing .NET code? Uh, I'd say the biggest impact that uh, especially Python had on me, 
or well Linux as a whole, because I did use to use Linux a lot a couple of years ago, well, like five, six years ago. Uh, is uh, the whole like async and many processes, like one process compared with one thread compared to like I like monolithic process with like 40 threads, which is like the Windows model mm -hmm. and sort of the asynchronous style of programming that, uh, well, Node use leverages, uh, but also like that's very common, like with the ePol and select calls. And that's, I think, is the biggest influence uh, that I prefer to think in, well, async and processes instead of like threads and, uh, I don't know, weight handles, I think they call it in uh, .NET, yeah. What sort of advantages do you think a .NET developer has over a Unix developer? I'd say the, uh, like how, because you get used to handling threads in .NET pretty fast. And I think that's the uh, main thing. Uh, like, I mean, multi-threading is really freaking hard. And I mean, no one would ever claim to be good at it, I think. But at least I'd say that I'm decent at it. And uh, I have friends who are like, you know, Python or PHP. And uh, PHP might be a bad example, but, you know, Python and stuff like that. And there's no real multi-threading there in the way you do it in .NET. And you don't learn that because that's not the Unix model, basically. You small tools, one process. So you mentioned that F# -sharp is a, a functional language. Is that is it compiled or dynamic? Uh, it's compiled. It's statically compiled, but it's type inferred. So you basically don't have to like type out the types if you you know what I mean. Mm -hmm. it's, uh, yeah. So it infers most of the types from the way you use the use the variables and the constants and stuff. So you're writing JavaScript on top of this in, yeah. in IronJS. So you're straddling, straddling that line between compiled and, and dynamic. What aspects of both of those worlds do you like? Uh, I mean, I have to say, like, if I'm using uh, like C-sharp, I mean, as I, like, I grew up with like PHP, Python mostly. It is some JavaScript, you know, like when the DHTML around 2001. Right. <laughs> Which uh, a lot of what we call AJAX is actually just DHTML. If you're not making a network yeah. call, it's DHTML, right? Yeah, uh, but I mean, just uh, like everyone remembers, like, and you'd search for this like little snippet on the internet to like scroll the like the status bar and the text would scroll and stuff. But uh, uh, sorry. Uh, anyway, um, I mean, I think the main drawback of like the statically typed languages, if you look at like Java and C sharp, is that they're so verbose. Like, it's the amount of like physical code and characters you have to put down, like plink down on the keyboard to be able to produce something is quite staggering. If you compare it to like JavaScript or something, uh, but if you're looking at F sharp, uh, for example, I mean it's a statically typed language and it has to be like you can't like make it dynamic where you want like with the dynamic keyboard in C sharp or stuff. It's uh, it's statically typed and that's it. But I mean the amount of code, if you look at lines or like amount of characters, it's almost equal to JavaScript because it's such so tears. Uh, so I if you have a language like that. I mean, that includes like Haskell, F sharp, stuff like that. There, I see very little benefit of being dynamic. But if you're comparing dynamic like JavaScript versus C sharp, then I see a, a benefit of being dynamic because of the, uh, I mean, the amount of code you don't have to write, basically. So the last time I did .NET professionally, it was ASP.NET. It was before the the MVC um, release. So. Are you doing much on the web with with .NET? Uh, yeah, I mean, my my day job is uh, pretty much. I mean, I do the heavy backend lifting, mm -hmm. but uh, I mean, I, I plunk some like web forms and stuff at time. <laughs> uh, not a fan at all. So it seems like that um, 
when .NET came out, Microsoft tried to take a desktop abstraction or a paradigm and write an abstraction web forms, right, for to expose yeah. the web to to folks that aren't used to writing web applications, and it just it was just a crazy weird abstraction <laughs> in hindsight. Yeah. Um, have you seen a philosophy change at Microsoft over the last ten years at all? Are they really embracing the web, or is it still an embrace and extend philosophy? Uh, I mean, with MVC three, uh, I didn't use the first one, but the second and the third one, uh, I just it, it's you know like, but I mean, coming from Python and PHP, like the thing they sell in like ASP.NET MVC three and stuff is stuff I saw around like around like two thousand and five. You know, it's like like, but this isn't really new. Like Ruby and Rails did this six years ago or like five years ago or whatever. Uh, so, I mean, I don't think they embrace and extend as much, but the stuff they release is stuff that everyone else has been using for years currently. Uh, that's the way I look at it, at least. So at least on the web with Ruby and Python and other frameworks, there seems to be a myriad of server choices that you can deploy to, right? There's uh, even in the Ruby world, there's Thin and Unicorn and Passenger, and we just have a host of yeah. of different choices. On .NET, are you still t- tied to IIS? Yeah, pretty much. Uh, I mean, but I don't see it as a bad thing, really, because at least uh, when I do stuff for work and, you know, like you do applications for uh, different companies and stuff, they, I mean, they pick .NET because it's a Windows platform, and that's because they have a Windows network, which means they have an Active Directory. You know, like they want everything integrated, you know, like the IIS and .NET and web forms even it's just like it just works you know you don't need to really do anything like the uh, all the permissions work like logins everything just work so is brings a lot of benefits in terms of integration with other microsoft systems like yeah ad and stuff the other difference that uh, seems to come up quite a lot between net developers and and I guess open source or Unix developers um and, and a lot of times this is more of a corporate versus you know startup type of mentality is in .NET, a lot of times in Java, you're tied to an IDE, whereas in other languages, people prefer text editors. Where do you hang out all day? Uh, I swear by Visual Studio. Pride for my cold, dead hands. Oh, yeah? (laughs) Oh, yeah. It's, uh, I mean, once I got used to it, I will not ever program without an IDE ever again. It's, uh, I mean, I started doing .NET fully around 04, 05, maybe. And, uh, I mean, it took a while to get used to uh, Visual Studio, yeah, definitely. But now it's, I mean, the amount of help it gives, especially when you're writing code like C-sharp code or Java code, which is very verbose. Uh, the amount of, I mean, it gives you so much assistance. And even, like, if you're looking at someone else's libraries, you can just, like, jump around, you know, like, the go-to-definition stuff. And that's, and then uh, when I, at times, have to open, like, a PHP project at work, and I'm just completely lost. Like, I've... I've lost the skill of navigating code without an IDE, sadly. You know, I used to be in that camp where I couldn't do anything without a, a GUI menu to do it for me. But yeah. since moving to Ruby and Rails and embracing kind of the Unix philosophy, I found myself writing my own little scripts to automate a lot of what I do on a daily basis. To what extent can you automate Visual Studio? You can do pretty much whatever you want. I mean, Visual Studio has a rich extension gallery now nowadays, at least. I know it was been building up since 2008 and now 2010 has it integrated even and i mean there's extensions for pretty much everything you could possibly get there's even a git extension now that actually works uh so i'm using that for like the small things like committing and updating i'm glad you brought that up so 
Is there any traction for Git and Mercurial and the open source or .NET community outside of Team Foundation Server? Uh, I mean, I think Mercurial, Mercurial, so I can pronounce that being Swedish, <laughs> <laughs> uh, has. Uh, it has more traction in Git in the .NET community, I think, because CodePlex has a HG, HG like repository option uh, next to the normal Team Foundation, I think. Uh, and but I mean, I use Git, and I know I know a lot of other .NET projects use Git also. Um, I mean, for me, I don't know. Git just, Git just clicked, so I, I stuck with that. So when you're not hacking on IronJS, what open source projects? And just have you dying to play with. I've been meaning to get more into Node. Uh, I love the whole async idea. Uh, and I mean, obviously, <laughs> a lot of other people do also. Uh, I mean, I've been toying with Node like a bit on my uh, Ubuntu uh, dual boot or whatever. Uh, but I don't know. It's it's like I haven't had time to fiddle around with open source projects for ages because like I've been working and then I've been doing IronJS for like eight hours every day for the past year. So it's like, well, uh, I don't know. Uh, I I do look at some other C sharp projects though, uh, like the K- Kayak, yeah, Kayak HTTP server. Mm-hmm. I've been meaning to play around with that because that's uh, like a, an integral part in getting the uh, or important part in getting the node uh, for .NET running. As a .NET developer, who's your programming hero? Oh, I don't know. I, I gotta say, Sed Shaw. I like that guy. He's like complete asshole. <laughs> But, like, I like him. I'm sorry. <laughs> We're fans of Zed. Zed was on a, an episode, a highly edited episode. But uh, he plays in a lot of different, uh, I guess, playgrounds. I mean, he's yeah, he's made friends and enemies in, in Ruby and and uh, Python and, I guess, now at least one friend in the .NET community. So what what's got you excited about what, what Zed does? I mean, I just like his, like, brutal honesty. I think that's what I mean. First of all, he's a really good programmer, obviously. But uh, I mean, I, like more as a persona, like I like his brutal honesty. I mean, uh, he goes overboard a lot. But uh, at least from my perspective, I mean, I, I've never met the guy. But uh, yeah, or uh, I mean, but if we're talking like programming, it, it would have to be Miguel from Mono. Uh, he's, uh, I mean, he's such a nice guy, and he's like so fr- scary smart. It's uh, you know, you know, I mean. At work, you know, like you think you're like you think you're the hot shot, and then you talk to someone like him, and he's like, "Oh God, I need to go back to school for 15 years to catch up with him." It's <laughs> so since .NET is backed by Microsoft, are most of the thought leaders in the .NET community at Microsoft, or are there other folks in the community that are bearing the standard? When you're talking about like, I'd say if you talk about the core .NET stuff, of course Microsoft, like the community doesn't have that much control. But if you're looking at F Sharp, and F Sharp really is the oddball here. There's like Don Syme, uh, who's also oh, that's another programming here actually, who's also like insanely smart, who's the main architect behind F Sharp. I think he's also one of the main architects behind generics in .NET. Uh, I mean, the uh, F Sharp community is very open, and it's like there's a lot of discussions, and there are a lot of people from the community who are involved. Or F Sharp, I'd say the community has more influence than uh, the other stuff, but uh, F- like C Sharp VB and stuff, I think it's from my point of view, it's all Microsoft, and you just have to live with that. You know, a lot of the, uh, I guess, sharing that happens in the Ruby and Python and, and Unix communities happens at user groups. Are you involved in a .NET user group? Uh, there actually is one here in my town in Sweden, Gothenburg. Uh, I've been trying to look them up, but uh, I don't know. It's, 
I know the thing is that it's mostly like those user groups are mostly like C sharp and stuff. I've been trying to like find an F sharp user group in Sweden, but I think we're like three F sharp programmers in all of Sweden. Yeah. <laughs> so it's like, I don't know. It's, uh, uh, I mean, those are mostly F sharp and they usually, you know, they talk about like the CMS systems and, you know, like the client, you know, like CRM systems and stuff. And that's not really, I mean, what I'm interested in as a person. You know, I prefer sort of like the open source, more than like the tech projects, you know, like hacking on compilers and stuff compared to discussing the latest CRM system released by some company. Do you have a favorite F-sharp feature you'd like to see in another language? Uh, I mean, this is a functional feature, but it's pattern matching by far. Discriminated unions and pattern matching. Those things are just uh, amazing. It's, uh, I mean, those, uh, those are the two features that made me choose F-sharp for IMJS, basically. Uh, because of how easy they make parsing and uh, like building uh, syntax trees and stuff. How large is the IronJS project, roughly in lines oh, of it's, code? It's tiny. It's like eleven thousand lines. This is nothing for a compiler or a runtime. But I mean, the runtime is .NET, but like a compiler. How many contributors? Uh, it's me and this uh, the guy named John. Uh, I can't pronounce his name though. It is a, I think it's John Gitson. Yes, uh, he lives in uh, the states, but he has a really funky last name. I'm sorry, I'm sorry, John, if you're listening to. Me. Oh, he helped a lot uh, on the uh, on uh, the ECMAScript uh, three conformance tests. Uh, he did, uh, I'd say, about half the work there. So, looking at the uh, IronJS website and the benchmarks that you've you've published, um, you mentioned earlier that these were fun. So, what makes benchmarking fun? I don't know. It's, isn't it? Well, isn't there just something inherently fun over being fast? I don't know. <laughs> uh, I don't know. I, I think it's, uh, you know, it sort of gives you sort of like a receipt uh, of your efforts, you know, like that you actually made something that works and it's fun. fun, right. uh, Fast, I mean, sorry. Uh, I mean, it's sort of like stone validation. You know, it's like I've actually built something and it works and it runs fast and it runs fast compared to the competition, you know, competition or whatever you want to call it. Uh, and seeing that little bar decrease even more, I think we're down to 2,900 milliseconds now for all of SunSpider. You know, I I think you, you asked me, you know, isn't that fun? For me, no, it would not be. But, you know, I'm thankful for guys like you. So here's the deal. I play where the user meets the machine, right? And, uh, yeah. and somebody has to have a business benefit for, it, for for me to get excited about what computing can do for them, right? But I am so thankful yeah. that guys play at the lower end or the deeper end of the pool, right? And do yeah. things like this to make the whole effort faster. Yeah, I mean, I don't know. I just, I don't even really know why I like it. You know, uh, like I said earlier, I drive a motorbike uh, in my spare time. Yeah. And I suppose that goes fast also. So I suppose there's some correlation there so you just like speed but, in general yeah just speed in general so frederick where can folks go to learn more about ironjs and get involved uh ironjs.wordpress.com or ironjs.net uh, and of course github.com slash fhalm slash ironjs which is uh, the main repository and follow on twitter at ironjs yeah and i am fj Holmstrom at uh, twitter and we'll put all of that in the show notes. So thanks so much for joining us and uh, telling us a little bit about IronJS and F-Sharp and giving us, a, I guess, a whole slew of projects that we need to have on the show in the future. Yeah, thanks for having me. It's been a blast.